Hello, everybody. Jerry Marzullo. Uh, Hi, Jerry. Hello, everyone. Coming to you live from the incredible Fire and Iron podcast studios here in the wonderful greatest city in the world besides Berwyn, Illinois, Chicago. Uh, as we were saying before we started this podcast, this is way too nice and professional for uh, Chuck, myself, and Luke. We were expecting a garage in like Canaryville that was unheated, um, which I love Canaryville. It's a wonderful neighborhood. Uh, speaking of Canaryville, we're three feet from 15 bottles of scotch, and we've decided to stay sober for this podcast. That's how dedicated we are to you. Uh, and again, for our first podcast, We've brought in the one and the only, the living legend, second only in pure physical beauty to Pat Devaney. Thank you. Chuck Sullivan, president of the Associated Firefighters of Illinois. He's across from me and just goddamn adorable. So uh, for our first podcast, and the idea behind this um, is uh, the Associated Firefighters, if I, if I may say so, um, with, with the president and vice president here, is always looking for new and inventive ways to bring relevant and timely information and things that may be of interest to our members um, in, in a statewide in a timely fashion. So the idea was to create this podcast in which uh, I think for future um, um, episodes we will be moving on and interviewing an, uh, an array of people, uh, doctors, lawyers, uh, fellow firefighters, all sorts of collective bargaining pensions, state legislative issues, state reps, hopefully senators for all sorts of different perspectives here. And the first uh, podcast uh, is, again, of course, with Chuck Sullivan. So, Chuck, hello. How are you today? I'm excellent, Jerry. And I, if you weren't a firefighter or an attorney... Luke, I think he could be. Uh, I am the Johnny Carson. WLS. I feel like we should be doing the weather, right? Like the time is that now voice. ten twenty-two. The voice, right? Yeah, it's a great a, voice. It's a thirty-two-minute really delay on I the damn Ryan. I could do traffic. <laughs> I'm glad you took your shirt off for that. That was really bad. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, so uh, again, we thought it was just natural to have um, President. Uh, Sullivan here, um, obviously, to, to talk about kind of the state of the AFFI and a special thanks to the AFFI for inviting me to be the, the Johnny Carson of the podcast here to Luke Howison, who really was instrumental in, in putting this all together. And it was here making sure that Chuck and I uh, somewhat behave. So, again, thank you very much to Fire and Iron Studios. It's an incredible facility here. And we hope you catch all of their podcasts wherever they're available because uh, they are an incredible team and group of people. So you know. our listeners know you were on the bottom of the list, though. We, I was, yes. That's correct. <laughs> You're all we could get. That's so. correct. It was, It was. I, I know the your first choice was any attorney from Clark Baird Smith, I think. Oh. <laughs> uh, that was your first choice for doing this. Uh, yes. And then there are, were, you know, a couple psych patients and then there was me. So there you go. Uh, so just to kind of get into this, I think the first idea, the first thought that I had was because this podcast, you know, we have individuals who show up to every one of the AFFI labor and pension events. And you see a lot of the familiar faces, the people that are very dedicated, that are elected to their pension boards, elected to their executive boards, serve on their foreign fire tax, 2% funds, et cetera. Um, but then we have other really great bargaining unit members that are not on those boards. And they're just really great union members who are out there riding backwards or, or on, on the uh, ambulance every day who may not make those events and may not be as steeped into AFFI culture organization or what you guys do um, as much as those individuals who uh, we afford, the aforementioned uh, attend all of those all of those events excuse me it's like 10 in the morning I already can't speak and I'm sober so with that Chuck just really quickly just hoping you can introduce yourself to the audience and then also kind of give us an overview of the organizational structure of the Associated Firefighters so that people that are you know on their way to work uh, to shift can can really understand the incredible amount of of support and organization that is behind them when they get to work this morning I would love to do that Jerry and uh, I too want to thank uh, Corey and Steve and Vince uh, for the uh for the space to, yes. to do this. And uh, again, way too professional. I would be remiss if I didn't mention Timmy Luke Howison as well, who is really the guy behind the guy thing. behind yeah. the guy. Because his real name is Timothy. That's correct. Howison. Right. Either way, it's adorable, Tim or Luke. I like Timmy. Yeah. Um, but in, anyway, Jerry, to, to your question, um, 
So the Associated Firefighters of Illinois, it's not the American frozen food industry, because if you Google AFFI, that is the first. That's correct. The first. I've uh, tried to look up their contracts as well. <laughs> They're not as good. The food industry comes up in, uh, first. But um, we are the, uh, the statewide union, if you will. We, have, we represent over 15,000 members uh, in 225 uh, different affiliates across the state. And Chicago is our largest and we have local uh, two. locals, correct. And we have locals that have three members. Uh, Clinton, Illinois, uh, comes to mind, and there's a handful of others. But um, we we have an elected executive board that uh, obviously includes me as the president. And we have two other at-large officers that, that actually run uh, statewide and are elected by our statewide delegates. Timothy being one of them. Timmy Howison is our vice president, He's and uh, he is cute. And um, he has a suit on today, by the way. It, it's just remarkable. <laughs> and his tie is tied really good. <laughs> uh, and our other at-large officer is Tom Rote from Springfield. He's our secretary treasurer. He deals with all our uh, financial and budget issues, and he also takes care of our uh, office that's uh, down in Springfield. We have, um, we have five vice pre- district vice presidents, so our state's broken up into five different districts, and I like to call them uh, our, the face of the AFFI. They have the most interaction with our members on a, on a daily basis. Uh, that's Danny Fortuna in District 1, uh, Chris Coates in District 2, Steve Perry in District 3, Matt Olson in District 4, and Art Thompson in District 5. And then we have three elected uh, legislative representatives uh, that uh, advocate for us down in Springfield. Uh, that's Steve Shetsky in the north, Jeff Maher in the central, and Richard Martin in the south. And then we also have three elected trustees who make sure that we are doing everything correctly and the dues are uh, being spent um, as directed. And that is uh, your very own Berwin, Ugh. Mike Loretto, yes, and Clayton Matson, and Bill Hall. I, just before you go, I just want to... My union president, Mike Loretto, for everybody out there listening, actually believes that wrestling is real. And I just want to note for the record that it's not. <laughs> and just because Ric Flair wins 17, like, fucking world championships just makes him a very good reader of scripts. He's not a real athlete. That is not a real sport. And we can move on. Thank He's you. lost a lot of weight, hasn't he? Who, Loretto? On purpose. On purpose. Yeah. yeah, yeah abso- absolutely. Yeah. I don't know if he thinks he's going to become a wrestler or something. I don't. It's, he looks pretty lean. I, he, I, when did I see him last? Yes, he's, he's, he's lean. All the fat went to his head. So I think the last time I called him, there was a pipe in his basement that had busted. Oh, everybody knows about the pipe in the basement. Right. that got busted. a lot of pictures. Okay. Yes, we have a lot of pictures of that, and wrestling is fake, and right. we can move on. So uh, anyway, that, the AFFI really does three things, um, and that is uh, – the first thing is we try to educate our members, right? All 15,000 members. And Luke, as our vice president, has really, uh, he, by our bylaws, he's our educational officer. And uh, he's done a, a remarkable job, uh, you know, since elected in 2018, uh, really increased our training exponentially. Uh, various topics, uh, obviously covid as we speak right now, is a is a hot topic. But just any topic ranging from arbitration or mediation, um, any type of negotiating, uh, disciplinary issues, that and various webinars in the last year. Uh, so we try to we provide a, a number of different avenues, uh, venues to educate our membership on what a union is, what a union does, and how it should operate. Um, it, his his brain is always in hyperdrive. Um, and that's a, that's a good thing. It's, it's good for our executive board. It's good for our, our, our membership. And, uh, he, he really does enjoy what he's, he's doing and he, and he does it well. So, uh, education is one aspect of the AFFI. Second aspect is service. And I mentioned our five district vice presidents. Um, they are on the ground literally every day, uh, with our affiliates, uh, Speaking just what I just said about education, uh, dealing with discipline in our local affiliates, uh, negotiating contracts, uh, memos of understanding, uh, just answering the day-to-day questions that, uh, that might arise uh, as a firefighter in a union working with a, with a local government. Um, in addition to that, we have our legislative and political programs. So we have education, service, and legislation, uh, political action. And 
I think it's important for our members to know that of the three legislative reps, they're elected firefighters. So they, they ride the rigs and, and clean the toilets just like everybody else. But in addition, uh, when the General Assembly is in session, those three are in Springfield uh, advocating for issues that affect uh, firefighters. And just as importantly, they are attempting to uh, stop or kill bills that would be detrimental to us. So, uh, you know, we could talk about all three of these for days on end, but um, legislatively, if you go to our website, you can see the number of statutes that, uh, that benefit firefighters, union firefighters, and um, those can be taken away, obviously, with uh, well, a vote. I was going to say, I think conversely is, I think probably the easiest way to think about it is that every single day, every AFFI fireman in this state can wake up knowing that there is a group of people trying to take away every benefit we have that every single true. day. That's There's no question about it. Yeah. And then, and again, we could talk for, you know, for days on end that the, the number of groups, I, I'm going to, I'm going to like, dispel a myth out there not everybody likes firefighters i, I wait what <laughs> including my wife correct right? yes, including my lovely yes. bride yes yeah. yes so um there are organizations out there that um see us as a black hole or just a big huge expense um obviously you know they a politician likes to take a picture when it's um when it's election time um but it's those legislators that are able to take the difficult vote um, when it means, you know, are we, uh, are we presumed to have gotten hepatitis or COVID or, uh, AIDS on duty, uh, th there's a cost involved there. Sure. And, um, you know, those legislators that stand with us, then we, we stand with them regardless of their D or R behind their name. Yes. And, and that's one thing I have to say that, that the AFFI and all of my years with the Associated Firefighters as a member of, of 506. I just got off a shift this morning. And uh, as an attorney that represents a, a great number of AFFI locals in the state, the Associated Firefighters has never cared about a DNR. I have to say that the Associated Firefighters have always, always said from, from pre I mean, decades that right. it's been going back is that whoever supports us, uh, um, we will support, which is which has been really nice because one of the frustrations I think that we've had or that I have seen in my travels is um, bargaining unit members that um, sometimes don't vote their pocketbook and will vote on other issues uh, that may or may not be uh, supporting candidates that are beneficial to uh, the wages and health insurance and working conditions that we have. So my little soapbox spiel before we move on right. to other items right. is, uh, you know. I, I really would like to hit home on that, though, Jerry, yes. just for those that are driving to work or leaving work and listening to this and listening to your um, eloquent voice. God help us. The AFFI is going to, every election year, will supply you with a list of endorsements. So that means these, these individuals... Uh, these state representatives and state senators, uh, by and large, will support your issues. So every one of us belongs to, uh, name a group, Knights of Columbus or the NRA, or um, you might have a, a stance on, on pro-life uh, or pro-choice. You do not want your AFFI dealing um, in those social issues, and nor do we, uh, for a reason. So... When you get this list of endorsements, we're not telling you um, how to vote. We're telling you that these individuals, uh, again, 75% of the time or greater, will vote to support your, as you just mentioned, your wages, hours, working conditions, retirement security, worker injury protections, et cetera. So when you go to the booth and you, you have to weigh, then it's up to you. We're doing what you elected us to do. These are the individuals that will support your career and your livelihood and your family's security. You then have to weigh whether or not your social issues are as important as your career and livelihood. And again, that's your list. The NRA is going to supply you with a list. Planned Parenthood will supply you with a list. The Knights of Columbus will supply you with a list. The Association um, of Pantless Firefighters. The American frozen food industry will probably <laughs> provide you a list if you're a member there. So right. I, I just wanted to reiterate that. So uh, one of the things I was thinking when I was when I was uh, on my way up here is in 
we had done a test run of this some some time ago, but one of the things I was thinking was just the, and we had talked about it during that, was the difference in the world of associated firefighters of Illinois and all of the associated, you know, the, the attorneys and the field reps and et, et cetera, as you had said, vice presidents, uh, of one year ago to now. So if you go back in your mind, which seems like an entire lifetime ago, which would be what, December 16th of 2019, I know as an AFFI attorney, it was basically cruise control, right? We're, sure. We're trying to, you know, codify staffing and we are, you know, looking at, you know, wage increases and, and, and it really wasn't much in the way. Of, I mean, there was, there always is, but, you know, things were calm in terms of, of big economic issues. The world was doing well. So, Think of where we were at 365 days ago to where we're at now. And obviously the 900-pound elephant in the room is, besides me, COVID-19, right? Correct. Uh, which has just wreaked havoc on what we do, not only from budgets and finances, but to uh, uh, staffing and protection for our members and all sorts of stuff. And that's kind of the stuff that I want to get into now. Um Quite honestly, given that, how is your world? This is going to be the most unfair general question in the world. <laughs> how has your world changed in the 365 days as we sit back from December 2019 until uh, until we we sit here today? Yeah, it's um, I, I there's not one word that would describe it. Um, I sent an email uh, around Thanksgiving time to the uh, our executive board and employees. Did it just say Jesus and, already? Right, just <laughs> really, and I. Believe it or not, I try to look back and, and see what all, you know, because I get the 30,000-foot view. And um, before I move on, I forgot to mention when we're talking about the AFFI, I just talked about the executive board. We have a number of staff representatives that are also firefighters. Oh, absolutely, yes. And um, we have directors. We have a director of communications and Kurt Snow. A director of health and safety is John Sargent. Director of technical services is Matt Campbell. And our director of government affairs is um, Tim Hunter. And we also have our chief uh, technology officer, who's Sean Gillis, who has really been on staff since 2006. His title has changed uh, a handful of times. But he, all, he runs our uh, data department, which is, I, I would put that up against any other organization yes. um, that is triple our size. And we have uh, some data analysts that are working for us, Mark Kolar, um, Dan Clendworth, and Tony Peloso. So I, I wanted to, to mention them as well. And then they are, they've been very, very helpful. Um, Make my life easier, that's for correct, sure. Yeah. Correct, So, but, but back to COVID, um, when I sent the email around Thanksgiving, I, I truly just sat there for like 30 minutes and tried to go back. I even went, went back and looked at old emails from like March 13th and Everything that we as a state association has has done in the last 10 months, um, I, I took great pride in, again, from the 30,000-foot view of everything that we have um, accomplished on behalf of our members in the last 10 months. And I reference March 13th because Luke and I were together, I think, with Tom Rote and Sean Gillis at in, uh, in Margaret's office. We were finishing up some staff interviews, and it really hit home. I, I, a week prior to that, Rockford, Chris Scroll called me, and I was in D.C., and that was the first case where they had been exposed to COVID. Uh, so it was a week before March 13th. And then on March 13th, we really, Tom and Luke and I sat down and tried to figure out, like, is this real? Is this really real? And the next morning, I, I woke up at like 3.30 in the morning, and called these two and then at eight o'clock we had an emergency executive board meeting and we established our COVID-19 committee. And John Sargent from Naperville, who is our health and safety director, um, is chairing the committee. And then we identified uh, individuals in each of the five districts that could, were willing and able and wanted to be able to research something that none of us knew about, uh, how it affected us, um, you know, what the ramifications were um, of, of contracting this, you know, how just all the, the number of different um, opportunities for these, this committee to research, analyze, and then recommend uh, was uh, unbelievable. And I'm not kidding, for the first 60 days, it was, it was chaos. 
Um, oh, I you and, mentioned and, Margaret Margaret right. Angelucci, everybody, fantastic mm-hmm. attorney, one of one of my colleagues in this world, and I can say I think from. March maybe 14th for the next 60 days uh, for the two of us, it was complete insanity right? Uh, trying to figure out how we were going to do this and take the ball and run from there. Yeah. It and, was not fun. And thanks to, to you two because the number of emails and phone calls that took place between our district vice presidents and Luke and myself and really the entire executive board, there was a lot of – I. I don't know. Yeah, nobody I knows. Just, I don't. I cannot answer that. So we need to call Jerry. We need to call Margaret. Um, and you guys obviously, you know, did did tremendous work for us and provided us with uh, a great number of tools and templates and boilerplate language that uh, we thought was was good for uh, for union members. But um, back to the COVID nineteen committee, just. The ability to keep up with the ever-changing guidelines from C- the CDC and IDPH, and when I say ever-changing, there were literally just within hours things guidelines were were changing. Um, the ability to uh, get PPE, uh, I tell this story. It's 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 hilarious, but really drives home how crazy it was. It has nothing to do with firefighters per se. Well, maybe the end result does, but um, I think it was April. And this is public knowledge. It was in, you know, a number of different uh, newspapers. When the deputy governor, one of the deputy governors of Illinois, had to go physically to the comptroller's office, and the comptroller had to cut a check for $1.1 million. Like a physical paper check. Yes. He had to have it in his hand. Him and uh, one of his assistants had to drive on I-55 and meet at exit 197 uh, (laughs) before 4 p.m., to hand it to a middleman in order for the state of Illinois to receive uh, a supply of PPE. This is a very high-level, sophisticated that, operation that, here. That's when you, like, really, this is this is no shit, wild, wild west, whatever it takes. When you have a deputy governor having $1.1 million in his hand, transferring it to a middleman to ensure that the state of Illinois got some PPE. Yeah, but what and could possibly go wrong? It, that just really, when I heard that, I, I'm like, this is, I, it's unreal. Um but over the course of about 90 days, uh, again, thanks to Jerry Marzullo and Margaret Angelucci, that's two, two hard last names to say if you're not Italian. Hardcore Italian. We An- get it done. Angelucci Marzullo. That's correct. The, sh- the shield of protection over the state of Illinois. Right. Right? Marzullo and Angelucci would be a great law firm. My name first, of course. <laughs> right. Absolutely um, not. That not would be the other way around. Order. That would be the other way around. Um, but it, really, just... The, the amount of work that has gone in and uh, our data department has been tracking all of our members. I don't have the, mem- the numbers in front of me right now. I bet Luke would probably pull them up. But um, since about March 20th, we, we as a state organization have been providing um, the fire marshal and then converse, uh, he, the fire marshal would then supply the information to the governor's office uh, just a snapshot of what the firefighters uh, fire service looks like in the state of Illinois today, as far as members positive, number of members quarantined, and I'm trying to look at Luke's phone right now. So as of today, that's just that's him in a bikini. That's the next slide over. That's your that wife. Is, that was. <laughs> that, so the number of today, the number of positives is 290. I have my glasses on. I still can't read. Two ninety five. Two hundred and ninety five, and three hundred ninety four members off the job, whether they're in quarantine, quarantine or oh, positive. Right I wish everybody could see the squinting that's going on right now. And I have my glasses on. <laughs> um, so and th- that report is generated, and again, those five committee members, you know, are updating that on a daily basis uh, when they receive calls. Uh, we're supplying that report every morning at six fifteen. That goes to the fire marshal's office and Mabus mutual aid box alarm system, as well as uh, the governor's office. So they're aware, at least from a the union firefighter standpoint, uh, and those that we represent, um, that's what uh, a snapshot looks does like. That include the the lo- does that include local two members as well? It does. Yes. Yeah, because those guys have taken a beating. Uh, for sure. Uh, um, for sure. But I want to – so – but I want to take this as, as an opportunity and, and just try to, like, synthesize everything that we've talked about so far and kind of tell a little bit of a story here. Many, many years ago, uh, um, where 
to be honest, I think Margaret and I have been able to take the ball and run with it. But the Associated Firefighters and uh, previous legal counsel, Dale Berry, uh, had identified a, a need regarding what it means to be a certificated professional full-time firefighter, uh, what it means to have a level of professionalism and expertise and actually get hired through a proper hiring process to be professionals. And one of the things that I think just kind of brings all of this together right now uh, that we've been talking about for the last 20-something minutes, which I just want – because sometimes our members, when you're not in it every day and you're seeing what we see or what we have to deal with and you're just concentrating on being a very good firefighter paramedic, you don't really see the bigger picture and how all of these things come together. Many, many years ago, the Associated Firefighters saw a need – um, because of the efforts of bargaining unit members in this state, the right people are elected who understand and are sympathetic to the problems and issues that we're dealing with. You yourself, Pat at the time, the other executive board, legislative members, et cetera, passed the Fire Substitution Act, all right? Correct. In my opinion, which has been one of the most instrumental pieces of legislation in terms of protecting us and making sure that there are certificated professional firefighters in the state of Illinois, um, and that is passed years ago before anybody ever hears of COVID-19 or whatever other weird 100-year virus that we're dealing with. And when you look at in terms of our ability to protect our members and to fight for professional firefighters in times of, of dire financial shortage, such as 2008, 2009, 2010, now going into 21, 22, I think it's just a really great example of being able to tie everything together of what it means to be voting your pocketbook, voting your economic interest, making sure that there are sympathetic people in there, making sure that the proper legislation is in there to protect us so that years from now in ways that we can't even possibly anticipate, we are now taking that bill and using that to protect our members going forward and protecting the very jobs of the individuals who are listening to this podcast onto the way to the firehouse today. And I think that's an extraordinary thing because you're looking for all these disparate areas that come together and provide this level of protection. And I think it's just an incredible opportunity to kind of synthesize the last 20 minutes of what, is, what we talk about as far as what the Associated Firefighters of Illinois does, in my opinion. I don't yeah, know if you no, that, that's an excellent, put a bow on it, um, wrap package. It, wrap it, ship it, package stamp it, I'm buying in, it. In the spirit of Hanukkah and Christmas. <laughs> Correct. Um, but also to your point, uh, in, in late May of this year, our legislative team was able to uh, add COVID-19 to the rebuttal presumption. I was going to ask you about that. Yes. And uh, much like hepatitis, tuberculosis, um, any bloodborne pathogen, COVID-19 is now a rebuttable presumption, meaning that um, if Luke Howison, Timothy, Timothy, excuse me, Timmy Howison gets COVID-19 as a captain in the DeKal the DeKalb Fire Department, capital T, capital H, capital E. He got it on duty, and the local government, the city of DeKalb in this instance, has to prove that he did not. So that's huge. Um, there are local governments that I, I, will say, no, no, you didn't, and deny it, just like any insurance company. But would. I don't think, you, and when you say that, that, that's a huge thing. That is a huge thing, because that is an actual legal standard. It is now legally presumed to have been on duty, and the burden has now shifted to the local government to show that that's not the case. And you know, for all of you keeping score at home, you may not understand the gravity of that legal standard, but trust me, that's a significant legal standard to make it a rebuttable presumption. Correct. And we needed, we needed 60 legislators in the House and 30 senators in the Senate to vote in the affirmative, and we needed the governor to sign that bill. Um, so easy peasy, right? No big deal. Sure. Yeah. As you can imagine, there are many organizations that represent local governments and business um, that were opposed to that. So um, our relationships and uh, work with legislators and networking uh, paid off in that instance. And uh, also the Public Employee Disability Act was extended uh, by 60 days. Uh, For COVID-related issues. Yes. Correct. Yes. Correct. So yes. if you were... Um, Again, people don't know this. This is another huge um, you know, benefit that only firefighters, police, and corrections workers have is if you're injured at work, uh, you, as a public safety officer, you continue to receive up to one year 100% uh, of your salary tax-free. If you worked at Circle K or you were an accountant or you were only an attorney, you would automatically go on 66 and two-thirds. Temporary total disability. And, uh, again, a huge benefit. Uh, that we currently have 
in in the middle of COVID, there we had some members that uh, had shoulder surgery or knee surgery and were not able to uh, do their rehab uh, because of COVID and everything was shut down. So we had that extended. Uh, and I think if if you don't already know that actually expires at the end of this year on December 31st. Um, we do have a bill in place to extend that. So when the General Assembly goes back into session in January, it'll be retroactive to January 1, uh, and then it, it will expire again on, on June 30th of, of 2021. So, so that is so that's the anticipated that, because that, that was actually one of the questions I had. Okay. That, and I want to move into FFCRA, but so on this issue, uh, on, the, on the PETA extension, hopefully um, uh, AFFI, this bill will pass uh, for the first half of 2021. Correct. Okay. Yes, and that's already been drafted. Uh, we worked with the Illinois AFLCAO because there is another a number of other essential employees that are included in that in that language, um, and they actually copied and pasted uh, our rebuttable, rebuttable presumption language from two thousand and seven, okay. uh, and and included that. So yes, the AFLCAO is working with us, and and uh, it will be introduced and retroactive to, to January 1. So speaking of something that may or may not be introduced, and I don't know if you have any information on this now, but one of the things that um, I, I think that uh, I, I know in my practice, I used to great effect uh, was the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, FFCRA, uh, which provided for these 80 hours. And really what that settled into uh, was, you know, if a guy was, the practical ramifications, I mean, we could talk about this all day, but if a guy was, you know, awaiting results, one of our members or something, they'd go on the FFCRA time, and then because of the laws that, that the Associated Firefighters was able to to pass and the protections, if the guy popped positive, then you know it would be considered PETA, and you'd get the time back. And we can talk about the interplay of of, of the, the strip. Let me put it to you this way, uh, listeners: the strategy behind what I, I'm not speaking for Margaret, but I'm sure she would agree. We've had conversations about this, but the strategy behind the patchwork of issues that Margaret and I, the protections that we put together to kind of go at the employer to protect our guys, was just remarkable. Uh, one of that patchwork was the FFCRA and these and these 80 hours. Um, do you anticipate or have you seen? I, I know that I was doing some research over the weekend to to see. I like to look every once in a while. Uh, that expires December 31. Is there proposals out there to have that? Uh, on a federal level, if you know. You yeah, I, I, I don't. Um, coincidentally, uh, I was in the front seat of my car and Jerry was walking up and down the sidewalk looking for this place. Completely I lost. Him, I had him jump in and I was on the, uh, I was on the phone with uh, the director, uh, executive director of the Illinois Municipal League, Brad Cole, on another subject. But we did talk about um, federal stimulus dollars uh, coming back to Illinois. Uh, and I, I don't want to... There will be some dollars. I don't know what that figure is, nor do I know, um, and he didn't know either, to be honest with you, um, what, again, it's U.S. Congress, so God only knows. Um, <laughs> it's just I magic. Would, I would hope. I know the, the international is, is working hard uh, and then their legislative team to, uh, to extend that. Um, but as we sit here today, I, I can't, you know, with an affirmative say yes for sure. I do know... Uh, Dave Lang in the IFF and Shannon are, are working hard to to get that extended. Okay. So we'll see on the FFCRA. And then also to your point, we will see on the uh, municipal monies, federal monies coming in to aid state and local muni uh, um, entities. Um, as we sit here today and we are recording this podcast, it looks like the that, that may be carved out of the next stimulus bill from what I'm seeing may also then be a standalone bill. There are certain parties in Congress that want to tie uh, that to COVID-19 litigation and all sorts of stuff, but uh, hopefully that'll get worked out because uh, we can we can certainly use the relief. So, and Just real quick, Jerry, I, I think it's important for our members to know that I, you can, we can talk about 2008 to 2010, you know, the greatest recession since the, the Great Depression. Until um, now. Right, and this... Um, this moment in time from here over the next 18 to 24 months, maybe even 36 months, is going to be uh, atrocious, for lack of a better word. And I say that because um, I'm obviously from Champaign. My fire chief, uh, Gary Ludwig, was um, honored to be the president of the International Fire Chiefs Association. For, they do one-year terms. Fire chiefs do everything different. 
but weirdos. Uh, right. They, uh, he was a, he was the president right in the heart of this when this, you know, kicked off and he's since, um, completed his one year, but their organization, the international fire chiefs association has anticipating 30,000 firefighter layoffs across the nation. Um, so if you do the stupid, simple math, that would be 600 per state. Obviously, we have far more firefighters per capita than Wyoming. Um, but I, thanks to um, our attorneys, our district vice presidents, and a lot of our local uh, leaders, we're going to you know, use the playbook, if you will, from 2008 to 2010 and be really creative and um, really... Um, our, our data department is going to be able to provide <clears throat> our local leaders and our attorneys with um, some hard, real facts. Uh, there are local governments that, you know, quite frankly, are in crisis. And, and Jerry, you can speak to that because you've already dealt with it uh, in the south suburbs. And I wish you would if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that you know, every municipality is different, and there are certainly municipalities that are sitting there on tens of millions of dollars in gen unreserved general funds, right? Uh, so I don't think that there's – I think there is a playbook, and the playbook is not – as you know, not applied evenly to every municipality. So you have municipalities that we look at that are sitting there, and these they are there are millions of dollars in the black, and they can weather this, et cetera. And to your point, there are some municipalities out there that absolutely cannot. We've already been engaging in concession bargaining with them and, and, and really in crisis mode trying to save jobs. Um, that is going to still be the case, in my opinion, through the next 12 to 24 months. You are going to see that. Um, you know, maybe, maybe the vaccine, you know, puts us back to normal in May and June, and there's such a pent-up demand for uh, restaurants and bars and cruise ships and all sorts of stuff. I hope that that's the case and jobs are recovering, et cetera. But I, I, I would defer to you, you, you and, and Luke slash Timothy uh, what your thoughts are because I, I think that for the next 12 to 24 months, though, it is going to be uh, a challenge, to, to, to say the least. But for all of our members that are out there that their locals have not engaged in concession bargaining yet – it is a possibility um, for those of you that are listening or will be listening um, that your locals have engaged in concession bargaining. You know, this is old hat for you because um, uh, there's going to be some funding issues, I think, in the next one to two year period. I don't know if I'm misspeaking or if I've missed anything. But no, I, we at. agree wholeheartedly. And again, that's why we kind of bolstered our, our data department um, back in April, May. Uh, to provide our locals with real numbers. And, you know, it's one thing to get the uh, municipal financial analysis from that IAFF, but then really dig down and figure out, you know, what these numbers really mean. And to your point, there are communities that will be in crisis and there are communities that will claim that they are in crisis. And it's our job to determine whether or not, you know, this is a real I, I always say, and I've said this before in my practice, there's a difference between an inability to pay and an unwillingness <laughs> right. to pay. There's sure. a, a significant difference. But to your point on, on all of the data, just so that everybody understands at home, because sometimes you, you may have members sitting there saying, well, where are my union dues going? What am I, what am I paying for? Let me just kind of give you a real-world example that ties into COVID-19. So the data that we are able to to produce, and when I say we, I'm speaking presumptuously, that the Associated Firefighters is able to produce that you give to an attorney like myself that goes into bargaining or interest arbitrations, et cetera. That data is remarkable. And actually what you will find is that sometimes it blows the, the employer out of the water as far as what they can produce. Uh, in realistic, truthful data, because arbitrators will sense BS, so we don't mess around. Here's the data, and here's the the money and the comparables. But what that is able to do, what your what your union dollars do, provides the staff that Chuck talked about, which provides the data that allows me to go in and either say, "You suburb A are are full of it." And I'm following the money, and we can show the, the the massive amount of money, which I've actually done. I, I have had the municipality that just tested us to say, can I get these guys to give something up and use COVID-19 as an excuse? Absolutely not. And then I'm sitting there with the finance director showing him charts and graphs as to why the finance director of that municipality is wrong. That doesn't make you the most popular person in the room, but it sure is effective when you can show up the finance director. Or conversely is – 
when you can sit there and say, well, this uh, municipality, for lack of a better term, is a complete and total shit show, and we need to do something here. You then have the data, not only that you can understand how much of a concession is proper, so you're not getting into the unwillingness to pay territory, but also we can go back to our own members. And, you know, every there are every firehouse is the same. Every member, every firehouse. Oh, well, the, the chief a year ago got a brand new buggy. They have money. Uh, no, no, they don't. And here's the numbers that show. And it really is, I think, the AFFI staff that allows us to do that because you can get to go in with like the inch of financial documents and and and, and show the show where everything is at. But I, right. I just wanted to say that. No, it's, it's an excellent point. I, and I don't want to scare our members. I just want to. I want them to like be realists because on the other hand, there are a number of locals that have, you know, negotiated good contracts over the last six months. Yes. Um, I look at Cicero where it Jerry was. and I were, were <laughs> at a press conference. And you want to just briefly discuss it, Cicero and the importance of fire-based EMS? Yeah, Cicero was absolutely amazing. I would have to say that it is one of the, one of the finest collective bargaining agreements I have ever negotiated or probably ever will negotiate. And I think it's a really great example of when the local and the town officials have a very good working relationship and can talk to each other and can understand each other. And we're sitting in a room saying, hey, look, here's our concerns. And I firmly believe that once the town president uh, was able to really see for himself um, the, the horrid issues that the private company providing EMS, um, the, the, the level of service and the inability to even staff ambulances, uh, we were able to convince them this needs to change. And that turned into a, a literally a nine-year collective bargaining agreement of very fair wage increases and working conditions, status quo on health insurance, um, and taking over the private ambulance with our local 717 members. It was just an honor to be a part of it. But again, when you put all these good things in the pot, all of these protections, and we were able to show the finances, and we were able to show financially how it worked with help from the Associated Firefighters, I mean, all of that 15 months of bargaining turns into us looking spectacular and magnificent at a press conference able sure. to right, say, right. thank yeah. you, Larry Dominic and the town of Cicero for doing this. And, and, and it was remarkable. DeKalb is another issue that comes to mind, not because Luke slash Tim, adorable, is in the room. But DeKalb is able to get a absolutely fantastic collective bargaining agreement because they have a the world's best relationship with their city manager. Right. And their city manager is a decent guy. He's not a pushover. He's not like, you know, he's not like, I'm going to give up the ghost because I love firemen. He's firm but fair. But at least there is a communication there. And they're able to, uh, they're going to be able to add staffing. And they are going to have, they were the first in the state with these these COVID protections and how this would work. And that was used as a template. Funny story. I was I wrote the MOU for the DeKalb for firefighters for 1236 and sent it to them. And then all of a sudden, like, Within the next two weeks, I got it emailed back to me by other locals saying, "Is this hey, okay? Have you seen this? Is this okay? This is something that we're thinking of implementing." And I'm like, "Yeah, I wrote it, so you're you know good to buy a con Dios, you know." Uh, so it's just been it's been a hell of a ride. So. I, I yeah. want to. It ask, is a case by case basis, truly, uh, or a municipal by municipal, district by district. I mean, Schaumburg, obviously, they rely on the mall. And that's been Oakbrook relying Oak on the mall. Uh, right. Schiller Park, you know, relies on O'Hare and the, the the hustle bustle of hotel motels and, and restaurants. It's uh, and again, all of the sites that Schiller Park has to offer. <laughs> correct, correct. So, um, so I, I want speaking of this as we're talking about a case by case basis, but I want to move in. I think that's a great opportunity when we're talking about municipal finances and our ability to get things done. Um, I, I, I think an issue that has to be addressed. And I think that what people keeping score at home are going to want to be addressed is the fair tax issue. Um, fair tax issue in Illinois failed. Um, the Associated Firefighters was in support of it, understanding what that would do. Uh, and again, not being presumptuous, you tell me if I'm wrong, and what it would do in terms of, of funding for our operations and our members. Uh, but that was uh, less than successful. Uh, post fair tax, again, unfair question, what are you, what are you gonna, what are you seeing that's gonna replace that revenue, if anything, or how's this gonna work? How's this going to affect your, your operations moving forward? Yeah, that's a, a great question that um, may not be quite an frankly, the, the four leaders 
Um, when I say the four leaders, I'm talking about Senate President Harmon, uh, Speaker Madigan, uh, Leader McConkie, and uh, Leader Durkin. Um, now, the governor just recently, within the last 48 hours, I believe, has uh, identified... $3.9 billion deficit in the state of Illinois. Correct. correct. And he's offered some cuts. I was it seven hundred million in cuts? I believe that's correct. And they're um, looking for concessions from the statewide, you know, ask me, ask me, etc. Correct. Um, so they were re relying on the graduated tax to to pass. It did not pass. Um, and uh, whether or not there are sixty votes in the House and thirty votes in the Senate to raise a flat tax, I mean, that's you know, political suicide for for many. Um, so the governor has asked the four leaders to you know provide more cuts and. Uh, Leader Durkin and, and Senator McConchie have said uh, it's all on him. So, uh, from an AFFI's standpoint, um, obviously, you know that there's less LGDF coming to us. Um, it's it's again, we're talking about the finances, and I I don't know, we don't have a stance right now, uh, us nor does the AFL-CIO. Um, we're just trying to uh, you know figure out the the lay of the land right now. We have a new General Assembly taking office the middle of January, and that'll be the 102nd General Assembly. And um, again, they're going to have to identify a number of cuts, um, you know, throughout the state, and whether that's, you know, a prison or it's Eastern Illinois uh, or, or what. So when those items get cut, um, obviously that's a lack of jobs and revenue that feeds into each municipality in Charleston, Eastern Illinois example, uh, a prison in Marion, you know, reductions there that that all trickles down to, to local government and, and where we work and uh, believe it or not contrary to popular belief we as firefighters are government we are government yes so um I, there isn't a clear path forward right not, now wait you mean we're not paid by donations <laughs> right. from a magical fairyland right. no. because we're heroes correct okay I mean, if you if you want to be you know, if you don't want to be government you can go work for psi yes yes unfortunately <laughs> Um, which no one should do. No one should be subjected to that. Um, so th really the, the issue is there's no crystal ball and we're all in this ride together. There isn't. I, just drastic cuts. That, that's the only way to, you know, dig ourselves out of here. There, there was an opportunity uh, on the ballot and, you know, the, the people spoke and, you know, we have to move forward. I, I, I don't know what the uh, four leaders have in mind other than cuts. Um, the Republicans have not offered anything. I mean, they mentioned that, you know, we should cut our way out of this. That's their mantra. Um, but they have not provided any substantive. substantive. Yeah. You were How many syllables of, is good that? good enough. Substantive? You were good yeah. enough for government work. You just said substantive. Sub substantive. I don't know. I, maybe if we drank the scotch. <laughs> maybe if we drank all the scotch that was over here, we would have figured it out. <laughs> Um, all right, so kind of coming to the end, there's a couple different things that I want to talk about um, that are in my notes. Uh, the next big issue is, um, well, I want to leave this to the final issue, but there have been, and, and this wasn't a data breach, this is kind of more of an information, maybe we'll just take a break for a second, but just one of the things that has been coming to mind, the the false unemployment claims for the Department of Employment Security, you're, mm -hmm. you're, it's been, there's been like, hundreds of them locals my locals are calling me they got 10 12 guys etc i just want to sit there and say for anybody that's listening for the false unemployment claims there was i think a data breach on the state level if i'm not mistaken it wasn't a municipal issue it was a data breach on a state level correct right, that's my understanding yes. yes uh but anyway itis for that if that is the case 1-800-814-0513 1-800-814-0513, and you can leave them a message, and uh, you're supposed to monitor your credit and bank statements, and best of luck to you. Uh, but I wanted to get that in there, and be pure selfishness, because I've been getting phone calls all over the place on that. Um, That's a good point. I, local, too, just they have a daily blast that goes out to their membership, yes. and it was um, yesterday or the day before, but they, they had a they have short paragraph and, and okay. a number and email to, okay. to contact. We'll probably put that on our AFFI website and I, write that down. I actually, See? It's like I come up with these amazing ideas I didn't even mean to. It's Brilliant. Remarkable. Brilliant. Right? Trip and fall and end up in a pot of gold. I will say that our secretary treasurer, who I mentioned earlier, Tom Rote, um, was was scanned. Was he really? Yeah. yeah. 
So he had to go. He's going through the process now. How could they find? He's so small. <laughs> I figured he just like he's hid like in, a teddy bear. I figured he right. just hid in someone's pocket, and, right. and the scammers couldn't find him. How's that even possible? Right. I had a bargaining unit member that was scammed twice. Really? I was like, son of a bitch. Yeah, that's bad news. He was like two two different types. So, all right. Um, the last issue that I want to talk about, I think we'll 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 kind of end it on this, is, in, unless I'm missing something as far as the our contemporary issues and moving forward is the wonderful world of vaccinations. <laughs> Ugh, Pfizer was approved. Um, Moderna uh, reading the, I can't remember if it was the New York Times or Wall Street. One, one, of the, one of the papers I was reading today, they're looking potentially for approval on Friday, uh, adding potential millions of, of dosages, uh, vaccines um, to, to the pot. Just as a point of personal privilege, I just want to sit there. On shift yesterday, uh, my chief had us call all 80 of our members and see who would be interested in the vaccine or not. And we had 55. Yes. And I'm very proud of that. That's good. 55 of us, which mm -hmm. I think was 70% are going to do the vaccine. And I thought that was fantastic. I thought I would mention that. I hope it's 70% uh, statewide, but, um, AFFI's thoughts on the vaccine or how this is going to get delivered or what you're uh, just kind of freeform that for me. Sure. So <clears throat> it's, I'll go back about 90 days or so. And I, I'm not exaggerating here. I bet daily, if not twice daily, um, me or somebody from the AFFI has been on a conference call or Zoom with uh, the CDC, our international uh, IDPH, advocating for our members um, to be first in line. And that's because um, a large majority of our members are EMTs, EMTIs, paramedics, licensed healthcare providers by the state of Illinois. And again, 90 days ago, up until and including today at five o'clock, there's a call with IDPH. So at the federal level, um, our international was instrumental uh, in working with the CDC and identifying firefighters across the nation or two nations uh, that they are in fact healthcare providers. Um, so the CDC, after months and months of vaccination bullshit, uh, came stuff, out with science a, stuff. <laughs> came out with a document or a guideline. The keywords guideline. I've said this so many times now, it's like clockwork. Yeah. I, just, I just rambled for Luke for 20 minutes yesterday on the phone. The um, Wonderful World Vaccines yeah. presented the, by Chuck Sullivan. At the federal level, uh, the CDC created a guideline. Again, the keyword is guideline. So then it went to the 50 states. And the Illinois Department of Public Health um, spent hours and hours of you know, research and, and, and all kinds of uh, detail-oriented minutiae to create a hundreds of page document on the vaccine itself, um, how it was going to be prioritized, uh, where it was going to be delivered, et cetera, et cetera. And on those daily calls, the AFFI was advocating for our members in that they are healthcare providers licensed by the state of Illinois. Not only are we healthcare providers, we're actually the first people to, and I'm not telling our listeners anything we're in their don't houses, already know, we're in, people's we're in houses. a very uncontrolled environment, transporting them on a fun fact here, 30 million people a year in the United States are transported via ambulance to a uh, healthcare facility, just FYI. Right. Better right so that, that basically makes <laughs> my ambulance 907 a Petri dish. In Burundi, right. 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 <laughs> so again, just reiterating, I, ad nauseum, we, are, we need to be first in line. I was at the state level. Um, last week, they came out with their last version, which is now, it was uh, version 1.0, 1.5, or 1.5, 2, 2.5. Now they're on 3.0, and that is the final version, I believe. Dun, dun, dun. And um, some people get confused, but tier 1A is healthcare providers, which includes EMS, which includes us, because we're EMTs and paramedics. And then 1B, it says firefighters, police officers. I, I was gonna, so I was going to ask you, I'm going to use myself as an example. I've got a ton of firefighter paramedics, these younger kids that are on. I, I am not. I am just a, a, a battalion 
is there is there a difference? Because there, there should be. They're more exposed to it than I am. Right. You know. So you, you don't have an EMT license. I don't. Yeah. I don't. You I, don't yeah. have to. Because I think, that fantastic collective bargaining. Agreement. That's correct. My my EMS authority right now. Or is, your rank. You're right, both. By rank, my right. EMS authority right now is don't die the medics around their way. That's right. that's what I do. Perfect. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there there is there, that's one B. Okay. So one A is all EMTs and paramedics. One B is firefighters, police that are not licensed by. So, Again, the keyword coming from IDPH, this is their guide, their guideline. It's not a doctrine. It's not a mandate. They are then leaving it up to the 102 county local health departments to determine who is going to get that and how and how it's going to be dispersed. So uh, pick a county, DeKalb County. What's in the one? We, always, yeah. we use Timmy too uh, much. Grundy but, County. Just because I like the word Grundy. It sounds dirty. Yeah, it does. Grundy. Grungy. Yes. Grundy. Yes. Um, sounds like you're going to pull the underwear up on someone. Is Dirty Curdy from Grundy? No, he's from LaSalle. Um, Who, Kurt Snow? Yeah. I, dirty Curdy. I'm like, I've told you this before. I'm like 90% convinced he's a serial killer. I think that Kurt Snow. He's Snow's, Joe Dirt. I think he is a cross <laughs> between Joe Dirt and and the Zodiac Killer. Right. That's what I think Kurt Snow. Also, for the record, everyone, I think Kurt Snow's a cannibal, but I just, <laughs> I really believe that he is. But he is but an excellent guy. director. Of he's phenomenal. He's a, he's a very smart guy. He's awesome. I just am afraid he's going to eat me. Right. But okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So from, from the AFFI uh, standpoint, it is up to the local health department. So we have, over the last three weeks, uh, via email, district meeting, you name it, any avenue, any platform we have had, we have encouraged our union presidents to work with their administration and tell the fire chief they need to act like a fire chief because that title carries some weight in communities. You would hope. And advocate for your members to be first in line when the shots are delivered and uh, they're accessible. So... Um, the state identified the 50 counties where the most, most death has occurred. So those 50 counties have already been identified. Uh, and I'm proud to say that uh, Art Thompson and Steve Shetsky, two names I mentioned at the beginning, uh, received their shots yesterday. They did. They did. They got vaccines yesterday? So Lake County, for the last three weeks, their fire chiefs or their union administration or somebody in Lake County has been an advocate. And when I, when, when I say that the AFFI suggested that they contact their local health departments for the last three weeks, not just in an email, not just one phone call, I'm talking every single day, call and remind them that, hey, we're EMTs, yeah. paramedics, et cetera. It just, and you're the squeaky wheel. Right. And just advocate for yourselves. And in Lake County, they obviously did because there's 700 and some odd firefighters, EMT paramedics that are going to get the shot yesterday and today. I hope one of the side effects for the vaccine, maybe Art Thompson will grow hair back. That's a strong possibility. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that would be amazing. He'd look weird with hair now. <laughs> it just wouldn't look right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, that it's worked well in, in Lake County. Um, and we're encouraging our members to obviously receive the vaccine and then we have fielded, just like you, Jerry, as in your attorney work, uh, fielded a number of questions. And it, I was just telling Luke uh, offline, it reminds me now of March and April again. Correct. Like, I, I'm not quite sure we're going to have to ask our attorneys. I, that, that's a good question. Not sure. You know, is, do my side effects qualify me for the, you know, the federal leave? Uh, do I have to take the vaccine? Is it mandated? Uh, when it does become mandated, can my religious beliefs? And generally speaking, in my opinion, the employer is able to mandate vaccines as necessary uh, in the line of work, et cetera. But there are ex there are exceptions. There are religious medical exceptions, et cetera. I, just also, I know of no employer right now in fire EMS that is making it mandatory. It is they are making Correct. it highly, highly recommended. And that's just because the limited supply. I, I think it's because of the limited supply, but also I think it's it's incumbent upon us. I, again, being very proud that seventy percent my department sat there and said, absolutely, I'm going to do this. You know, you get departments that are running in the 60 to 80 percent of yes range. They're not going to have to even deal with issues of making it mandatory. Right. So the more participation we have, I think the less we're going to to, you know, to have to deal with that. By the way, just for the record, I know of no evidence of anybody putting any sort of tracking devices and vaccines or anything along those lines. And vapor trails are false. But moving on. <laughs> True. Yes. So I. Another question that's come up, and I'm obviously not 
putting you on the spot, Jerry, and nor would we hold you this as an illegal opinion, but um, let's just say, you know, six months from now when um, Lyle Woodward's fire district says they're going to mandate that every firefighter paramedic receive the vaccine. It's negotiable. Correct. Okay. That's I, I would say anytime you put something in your body, if you're sticking your body with something, it's negotiable. That's a working condition of employment. And then also, if they do mandate it, I think that any side effect that were to come from that, and by the way, just for the record, the side effects have been the same like the flu vaccine, fever, chills, a headache, whatever. But let's say, God forbid, that there were some type of nasty-ass issues regarding a vaccine. That's a work comp claim. That's covered. Okay. And then um, next question would be, Lyle has 100 guys, 100 firefighters. Let's pick on Lyle. It's fun. Sure. And 92 of them have received the vaccine. The other eight chose not to. Um, and and I, I'm at, this is the question. Does the district of Lyle Woodridge then have to uh, provide a reasonable accommodation for those? I think so. Because if you have a proper religious or medical exemption, then then I think that there is a reasonable accommodation. But then the question becomes, what is that reasonable right. accommodation? Because so, I, and again, I obviously I, we you know we're one hundred percent employee, but could a reasonable accommodation be? And Luke and I have talked about this. Um, okay, you eight are going to be assigned to station the, seven. Right, you're going to be on red shift and. You're going to wear a mask 24 hours a day, seven days a week. When you're sleeping, when you eat, you're going to put a bite in your mouth and put the face piece back over and chew and continue on. Yeah. That's I, reasonable I, I, when there's a pandemic. That there's going to be uh, – let me put it to you this way. In my opinion, employers, here's how the law – here's how judges are going to look at this. Here's how arbitrators are going to look at this. You know, there's a lot of – I know this sounds like an oxymoron, but it's it's really not. There's a lot of common sense that these judges and arbitrators try to do, as much as we can, we make make fun. Um, but I think employers are going to get some leeway in a situation like that, right? I think an employer, I think you're going to get a judge or an arbitrator saying, "Jesus Christ, what, what what do you want these guys to do?" Because then there's a trickle effect that comes down the line. What if I have shift bidding by seniority? What if I have rig bidding right. by seniority? And hey, you know this reasonable accommodation, I got to put all these guys over at engine three on the same shift. Well, wait a minute. I seniority bid to engine three because I like being there. My my best friend, you know, Brian Marquardt's there and life is good. My, you know, hetero life mate, Brian Marquardt, he's adorable. He's huge ears, <laughs> big ears. Uh, but, you know, I want to, you know, I want to work with this guy. Well, too bad. This is the reasonable accommodation. Otherwise, you know what we're going to do? We're going to turn around and terminate these guys because you can't right. perform your job requir requirements, your full and unrestricted duties. So, uh, yeah, I mean. I think a, a lot of times attorneys uh, uh, jokingly hide behind the answer, well, it depends. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it really depends. Sure. It, and it depends yeah. on departments. So and a reasonable accommodation in Chicago is quite different than- In Clinton, Illinois. Correct. With three members. Chicago, you know, hey, we're going to put you in the bureau. We're going to do, you know, you're going to- do day-to-day -day stuff for inspections or something like that, you know. Um, um, what was that? Wait, was it Robert De Niro in Backdraft when he was the- Shadow, shadow, or whatever. What you could be, you could be Robert De Niro in Backdraft, you know. Yeah. whatever. But the guys in Clinton, Illinois, they're not going to have that opportunity. There's three guys on the line. What does your reasonable accommodation look like? Like you go to that under the firehouse over there, and you're not, you know, how does that, how does that work? So, right. you know, I, I think we'll cross that bridge. I hope that there's enough people, but that that's not the case. But at the end of the day, um, I, I, I hope that with that level of participation, you're not going to see where it's going to come to mandatory, but we'll see. People have some strong opinions on vaccines, whether they're grounded in fact or fiction, and it is what it is. Sure. So might be a subject of a different podcast on a different day. I agree. So we've bothered the hell out of all of our listeners and all of these poor um, uh um, um, podcast tech. What do you call a pod? Is there a podcast? What are you? Is it a podcast technician? Dude. How does that work? Sound, engineer. Sound engineers. Yeah. Way more talent and training than I will ever have in anything in my life as a sound engineer. Any last final thoughts um, uh, before we break and and open the scotch over here? <laughs> I I don't. I really. It's um. I, and I'm speaking for Luke. I, the Timothy. executive board. Jesus, Timmy. I'm trying to be professional. I can't. It's These a, guys aren't going to know who I am <laughs> after this. Is that his brother? Like what? <laughs> Again, I'm not trying to be cheesy, and I, I, I've said it a number of times. It truly is uh, an honor 
uh, and a privilege, as as cliche as that sounds, to um, represent each one of the 15,000 plus members in the state. And I'm speaking for our entire executive board that really works every single day and night uh, on their behalf. And, and we all love what we're doing. So um, thank you for, for your support. Um, if you're not an AFFI member, um, call Timmy and we will organize you. Yeah, absolutely. And then I will get you your first contract. After, yes. After two years of fighting with you and the employer, I will get you your first your first contract. Fact. Same same for me. Uh, this, you know, this is right before the holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Anything you may uh, uh, worship to, to all of the gods in, in anywhere. Um, and it has been an honor and a pleasure to do this. I know that Luke, his idea is to do more of these. And I think it would be great. I think people would find it informative. But truly, again, just just to take a second, representing uh, AFFI locals and firefighters um, is the highlight of my legal career, not to sound cheesy. And it is a wonderful feeling when you can help somebody who's taken a hit on a disciplinary matter that's unwarranted and you can get a great contract and you can protect our members and protect staffing. Uh, it is a warm, fuzzy feeling and it's phenomenal. It is the highlight of my, my career. So thank you guys for the, uh, for the, uh, uh, the opportunity to do so. And uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. And I think Luke will turn it back over to you and, and see you in the next podcast. Thanks, Jerry and Chuck. Yeah, I want to thank all the members for taking the time to listen to this. You know, hopefully it's informative. And we plan to do a lot more of this. I think there's a lot of great topics out there. And then finally, Fire and Iron Media. These guys have been great uh, hosting us here. And we look forward to the collaboration going forward. So I think, just, wait, I think there's a Chicago's Bravest. Is that what's the the, the so that's the there's other like six or seven podcasts I think underneath. I just think Chicago's Bravest is is uh, it's that phenomenal logo on the wall right there. So so check it out. Yeah, yeah, and we hope to collaborate with them more in the future and bring you more topics and information that's beneficial. Uh, sorry, beneficial to our members. So thanks again for listening, and hopefully you have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Beautiful.